And welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today, we're going to talk about sexuality. Well, actually, sexual identity and the impact on mental health. Sexuality is a complex and personal topic, and its impact on mental health can vary depending on the individual. However, there are some general trends that we're going to observe here today. A quote, everyone has a spectrum of masculinity and femininity inside of them. In every individual, a war of misogyny is raging. Every man is repress repressing and oppressing the femininity within themselves, raising up male values as governing values, because that's what we've been taught to do, just as every woman has. Misogyny isn't just something that affects women, it affects men. A quote by Enohani. Today's guest, I'll have Al introduce her. Yeah, so today's guest, um, we have a, a licensed therapist um, from Maryland, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, but um, is it Tawaka? Is that how you, okay, Tawaka, correct. Tawaka Phylon, correct? Yes, Tawaka okay. Turner Phylon. Okay, I apologize, Tawaka no Turner Phylon. And um, so Tawaka is, is a therapist that's been licensed, been in profession uh, 20 years, and she can tell you more about that. But um, I just want to kind of just briefly say it's interesting how this actually came about. We was just talking before we started recording. I actually know Tawaka from a childhood friend, uh, one of my, my uh, one of my older brother's good friends from childhood that I've known literally all my life. We kind of was talking on social media. He told me that his, his wife was a therapist and had 20 years experience. So I thought it'd be interesting, you know, to have her on and get a female perspective on this sexual identity or as it relates to sexual orientation and the impact that it has on mental health. So um, without further ado, Tawaka, please tell the people a little bit more about your experience and your background. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the introduction and for this opportunity. So I have been working in mental health for like almost 20 years since I graduated from Alabama State in 2003 with my degree in psychology. I also have a, a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. So I've been practicing um, as a mental health clinician, like that, that has been my only job because it is my belief that I was created to help others know, understand, and to, re and to release their greatest potential. Um, so my last venture uh, for about since 2018, I worked with first responders. So EMT, EMS, um, and the population was like 90% white males. And so I got to, uh, I had the opportunity to kind of hear about the vast experiences that they have, not only in the fire service, but prior to. And so uh, sexual orientation, sexual sexuality, um, all things sexual have come up um, and, and how it's connected to their mental health and how you know, um, just the transition that has happened. But over the 20 years, I've worked with all populations from females to adolescents. Um, so I have a, a vast um, experience in just hearing the different perspectives from female, male, um, from, you know, gender fluid, from, you know, um, I worked at a women's center where we actually had, you know, trans um clients that would come in with mental with crises associated with their sexual orientation sexual identity uh sexual preferences um and i'm just looking forward to kind of digging into this with you guys just to bounce the ideas off of each other 
Indeed, indeed. First, we're going to talk about the pros, the positives of being comfortable expressing sexuality. When I came to America, sexuality seemed to be more compressed, more not so much discussed as it was in my native country. And it caused some conflict conflicts between my siblings and myself regarding like going to school, regarding the interactions we would have with other people. That's where I'm from. You know, we're a very sensual, very loving community versus in America, at least where we were in the South. They were kind of like more stuck, kind of more da da da. They did what they did, but they did it behind closed doors. You didn't really see them be enamored with one one another publicly per se. Um, in fact, I wasn't really exposed when I came to America. wasn't really exposed to PDA or anything like that. They, they just seemed to be like the oddest concept amongst, you know, black and brown people, which is a direct conflict where I'm from. Versus you would see that on the other side. You would see that the Hispanics do it. You would see the Caucasians do it. You would never see the Asians do it. But yeah, that was just something that I observed that, you know, the positivities of it it's just improved interaction with yourself, in my opinion, and the community that you live in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, an interesting perspective, Felipe, because I know you, you know, you're, you're Haitian descent, correct? Mm-hmm. And that, and that plays a big part on it, um, culture and things like that, right? Like culture, identity. So I, I think it's interesting when you talk about being comfortable and, and the pros of expressing it. And if you kind of look at the trend, like anybody that's in this professional line of work, you know, any therapist, a counselor, anything like that, if you kind of look at the trends um, over time in like um, American um, social issues, that stuff is starting to change, right? It's a lot of laws now, a lot of local um, ordinances and stuff in terms of like anti-discrimination based on um, sexual identity and things like that. But that wasn't something that was always coming, you know, people wasn't always comfortable expressing their sexuality. In fact, um, you know, even in some cultures, like I've worked with some people that was from Jamaica and I remember talking to a guy once and then looking at some stuff online and like, uh, that's like a culture where you expressing your sexual identity, you can actually be killed. I had a professor in uh, graduate school, he was Jamaican, uh, Dr. Williams, shout out to Dr. Williams over at ASC Central, uh, Central University uh, Social Work Department. but yeah, I remember having a conversation with him and uh, he was telling me like over there, that's very, very taboo. If you are a homosexual, that's just something you just can't openly express. You know what I mean? Um, for fear of being assaulted, killed, you know, bullied, all that type of stuff. And you see some of that here too. So I think that's that's interesting that um, that's something that people have to actually consider before coming out of the closet, if you will, or being comfortable expressing their sexuality and stuff like that. So yeah, you have to definitely look at those those uh pros and cons when you when you think about that. Absolutely. A lot of that culture oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. A lot of that cultural impact is because of colonialism. They were raped, they were pillaged, they were abused. And therefore when they, you know, remember Jamaica was the first African nation, African based nation to break away from slavery. They raised arms and say, you know what, F this, we're not dealing with this. They so they see it almost as a, uh, it goes against them. You know what I'm saying? It was an enemy of them. So therefore, because they saw the colonials do it as righteous they were supposed to be based on their religious pilgrimage to America and to the islands. It was all because they didn't want to pay taxes and wanted to do what they wanted to do. How can you enslave a man 
and say that you are God. Anyway, mm. that's another question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you feel passionate about that, didn't you, brother? Um, but 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 thinking about like coming from the cultural um, norms, right? So I I have a, a present client that is from African descent, so he's Nigerian, and so there are a lot of gender roles associated with like how you grew up, where you grew up. I'm from the south. I'm from actually born and raised in Georgia, and so there are religious um, ideas that are associated with your sexuality. So when you um, grow up in a family or a household that has, you know, the, the man as dominant, the head, the leader, the woman as the nurturer, the heartbeat, then there are instinctual role identities that like there's this unspoken expectation. So if somebody is growing up and they are thinking like, OK, my sexual identity or the way that I feel sexually is not in alignment with what my parents are teaching or with our traditions or what what the church is saying. So they have to it, it's like a learned helplessness where let me just keep it under wraps. Going back to that slave mentality where you can't express yourself, you can't really experience section and how it was intended without repercussions. So let me just keep it under wraps. Let me not say nothing. Let me hush my mouth because I don't want the the stigma. I don't want the fight. I don't want the suffering and the pain. And so it's associated with like generational trauma, um, traumas that we haven't, where we may not have experienced it personally, but hearing about it, knowing about it, knowing our history is like, no, we can't talk about that because I'm I'm going to get disowned. I won't get my inheritance. I I won't. I'll I'll shame my family if. So yes. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. You're right. That and that's that's heavy. You know that that is real heavy. You know because you're right. A lot of that stuff is associated with with generational um, norms and beliefs. Oh, you know we don't do that in this family. You know we can't. But just imagine that though, not being able to truly express um your sexuality right not to be able to be comfortable in it and um it's interesting because you know this thing is bigger than people think y'all um it's so big and so um necessary that uh the american psychiatric association is so fit to actually put this in the the dsm-5 as a, as a disorder right um gender dysphoria that's a yeah. real disorder right and I'm fairly new in terms of just being familiarized with it. When I started to really pay attention to it is when I started working um, as a forensic social worker in a prison setting, right? Doing group therapy with inmates, um, individual therapy, and things like that. And so I started learning about um, a little bit more about it just from treating transgender inmates. But this thing is so real that, um, um, you know, PhD psychologists and psychiatrists feel the need to make this a real diagnosis. So not being able to express your true sexuality is enough to cause discomfort, feelings of discomfort and distress, you know, about your gender identity. If it differs in your mind from what you were signed at birth, that, that's a real disorder. So right. um, I think that alone speaks volumes into the importance of being able to express sexuality. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, like being, being in a space. So I have three teenagers. Um, don't, don't judge me, but my kids are 15, 16 and 17 just had birthdays and a birthday is coming up. Um, and so we've talked about sexuality, you know, since they were like in middle school, like we, I have an open forum where they get to share, share their truths. So I've had questions like, mom, what would you do if? 
if I like girls. That's my daughter's. Or my son has never said if he like boys because he's like, mom, I just like women. And I'm like, okay, good. But my Ooh. girls now have been more uh, associated with um, just like what's going on, social trends in, in media. So now they're like experimenting mentally. Like, I don't know, mom, she's, she's pretty or she's beautiful. I was like, well, baby, if you're not thinking about having sexual intercourse, you can't determine what your sexuality or your sexual orientation or your sexual identity, right? Like that's the whole thing. It's talking about sex. You're not thinking about sex. So we don't even have to have this conversation to be something almost um, just for, just to stoke the fire, right? Like for the the, cl the cliches of it, for just the, have something to, just to have something to talk about. Um, and so like, I've learned that, uh, sexual identity and the impacts on the mental health are almost the same impacts as someone that is biracial or that is multicultural and really don't know where they fit. And so like, I've encouraged people like stop trying to fit into if you're gay, then you're supposed to, if you're straight, then you're supposed to, if you're cisgender, then you're supposed to, right? Um, the supposed to's is the cognitive distortion where we are um, kind of regurgitating what the people have told us. We are regurgitating what the social media and, and what's out there in mainstream. And so when it comes to the clinical part of it, like, like you mentioned it being in a DSM now, because it's so fluid, right? There is no solid, there is no black and white. It's hard to really um, focus on, on it, especially uh, when people run to um, my parents said this and because I don't want to do what my parents say so they run to the opposite end and it becomes overcompensation overcompensation um, to break out of a mold but to still put themselves in something you know just to feel a part of or, or to feel um, accepted so it's definitely about like self acceptance yeah yeah I, I, I pretty much agree with that what about you Felipe I agree as well Acceptance is very important no matter, you know, you are a person first, you're a human first. You know what I'm saying? Why aren't you being embraced for being a human? If you're a good human, that's what you should be valued for, regardless of your sexuality. Your sexuality should not define how good or how bad you are, unless you're doing maladaptive and negative behaviors, especially towards others. It reminds me of sloppy segue. I had a therapist that was, um, identified as they did. And I found it very difficult to engage with them because, not because of the sexuality of this individual, but because they, I had the most difficult time with pronouns. They insisted on they, them. I, English is my second language. It's, it took a long time for me to know how to work the pronouns for your language. <laughs> and then from now I have to retrain my brain, which is harder to do as I age, I must admit, to, to utilize <laughs> pronouns in ways that don't make sense. Where I where what I learned about your country is they means more than one. Them is more than one. Why am I calling a single person they them? I can't wrap my head around it. I reached out to a person who's on transgender to ask them if he's a therapist. They they are a therapist. See what I'm saying? Can you point me to some trainings, to some seminars, some workshops 
to help me wrap my head around this so I could be a more well-rounded clinician because I'm really having a lot of difficulty with this concept. And I have to be honest with myself when I say this. And I, I, I hate that I have to be so transparent, but I think it's very important to be my true, authentic self. We're all not meant to, to do everything in therapy. And that's just something that I would like to be more familiar with, to be more helpful with. It will never be my specialty, I'm sure. But what if somebody comes to me for crisis and I need to work with them and help with them? Because I used to do mobile crisis. I'm thinking about doing it again. I want to meet them where they're at and be accepting of them. And apparently their pronouns is a part of acceptance. Unfortunately, this clinician cannot give me any resources for workshops, seminars, or anything like that to assist me with it. Apparently, these trainings do not exist, but they need to. Absolutely. Yeah, well, just to piggyback off that, Felipe, um, again, you know, this is a very interesting topic, right? With a, a lot of different angles. But you're right, man. The resources are just scant when it comes to trainings for clinicians on, like, um, you know, uh, dealing with uh, sexual orientation, you know, treating mental health, sexuality, that type of things. And I think a part of the reason is just based on what somewhat I read is a lot of clinicians just aren't knowledgeable in that area and it, seem, it doesn't seem to be an area where a, a lot of clinicians are kind of trying to make a lot of um they're trying to break ground for a lack of a better way of putting it you know it's like people want to i guess because if you're not treating people that identify as lgbtq i or whatever other letters i'm leaving out i apologize i guess it's not a concern of yours but it does help because we have colleagues right we have licensed therapists uh, colleagues that um work in the field and so it's, it's good to um to be knowledgeable but i think the best way to kind of work around it is to always ask and that's what i do because it's it's tricky now right with all the different roles and titles right so i have a policy where i just ask with all the pronouns because you, you you got pansexual you got binary now you know you got um gender fluid or whatever so you got all these terms bisexual and it's and it's some overlap in some of them you know, you got all, all these different terms, you know, and so it's best to just ask, like, because, um, and I mentioned this to you before, like, I work at an inpatient facility, I'm, a, I'm an assessment clinician, so I work with you know, children that range from, like, 4 to 21 years, and so I meet a lot of kids in that age range, like, 11 to 15, that have, like, sexual identity issues, so they, a lot of, a lot of people tell me, like, I don't know how I identify, or I identify as non-binary, identify sexual fluid, pansexual, this or that. So I always ask because I don't want to, you know, offend anybody and I would prefer to call somebody the way they prefer to be called because that just helped with the therapeutic alliance and treatment and stuff like that. So I find that it's best to just ask, man, because you're right. It's tricky now. You got all these different terms and titles and it just makes this whole ideal of sexuality and sexual orientation that much more tricky. And if you're working in like what we do, it, it makes a difference to, to understand and um uh, it's big it's big I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that you know because i always ask like well how much of the way you identify your sexual orientation is affecting your mental health and i'm always getting like a host of a host of issues and it is some literature out there to, to back that up and so i'm, I'm pretty sure to that's something that you probably done experience with as oh, well. ab absolutely um so one 
it, there isn't there isn't a lot of um, clinicians kind of stay away from it because it challenges our own biases, right? And so if we're being eth- like following our ethical code, then we're not supposed to kind of project our biases. So because it's a sensitive subject, there is not a lot of concrete information on how to deal with it. Um, just like uh, back in the day where we had to do multicultural trainings and diversity trainings and, and inclusion, right? So we're learning all of that. The LGBTQ IA plus plus, I think I got all the letters. Um, like that is something that's new and up and coming. So we're continuing to do more studies on it. So actually clinicians that are part of that community, they better serve others that are struggling with those types of things just because of being able to relate and being on the same, the same like path. Um, but like with my assessments, we do ask about like your sexuality, your sexual orientation. How does it affect your mental health? How does it contribute to your depression, your anxiety? And some people are actually ignorant to the fact that their sexuality contributes to their anxiety and depression, right? Because it's almost like an iceberg, an iceberg situation where it the, the maladaptive expressions and the maladaptive ways that they cope with life experiences in general is so convoluted and there's so so much comorbidity where there's multiple things that are happening at once no one kind of knows what came first and what's connected to what and so um i kind of stay away from the pronouns because um i just ask you what would you like me to call you Like, you know, like, what would you like me to call you? What name? And I focus on empowering them to accept who they are, the name that they choose, the name they want to go by. And that's where we go when it comes to like establishing that, that, um, that therapeutic relationship where I'm going to call you what you want me to call you and the reasons why and how you got to this and the, your confusion about it. My we don't even have to go there because it's secondary to what the issue is. I literally had a client that was reaching out to me for services and he was like, um, do you provide service to services to gay black men? And my response was, do you have, do you think thoughts and do you feel feelings? Well, I can service you because your sexuality and your right has nothing to do with what's going on in your psyche and your ration mind and your emotion mind and, you know, the internal conflict, right? Like we can talk about your sexuality, but that's secondary. Let's not make that the the main thing. And it ended up um, as we got into our sessions, like I asked him, like, are you comfortable with your sexuality? And that thing messed him up. That one question caused him to go down a rabbit hole. And we kind of dissected where um, just because of him not really being comfortable, even though he was out, even though he had told his family and friends, oh, I'm gay, right? He accepted that title, but he didn't know how to be. Like he was doing things. Oh, if I'm gay, I'm supposed to do this, right? Or if, I mean, I am still a man, right? So that's where his internal conflict, how do he accept his sexuality and still experience life in his manhood? Um, So uh, what do y'all think about, you know, having a title and then just having your instinctual biological and your testosterone caused you to be away, right? The estrogen caused you to feel away. So how do y'all feel about that part of it? I feel that, unfortunately, even if you feel feminine or you identify as a 
you want to be your gender is female, but you were born biologically a male. Your biological, you're still biologically a male. Well, I'll give you a perfect example that I've seen recently. Uh, a, a person who was born biologically a male presents as a female, dresses and everything. But when somebody bucked at him, you've seen the masculinity traits come forward. He was strong. He beat the person up that you would think. Uh, in no woman that I know could have beat that person up. But, I, but half the population of men probably could. And that particular person who was born a biological man was able to. I'm not saying that people can't fight or women can't fight or transgenders can't fight. All I'm saying is their testosterone is a big impact. And if they're not taking the right medications to bring it down, if they're not getting the right hormone um, replacement, um, then of course it's going to be, that's still who you are, you know? We see it a lot in sports now. I've never seen it on a personal level, just on, you know, television and documentaries and stuff and where they're taking over women's sports. But you've never seen a transgender man go to a woman's sport or however you're supposed to say it. You've never seen a person who transitioned to be a boy from a biological female go to a man's sport like basketball or wrestling or anything like that. But you often see a biological male who's transitioned into a woman or has transitioned go to those sports. And I find that very problematic. Not yet. We haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry, Tawaka, but that's funny because we haven't seen that yet, Felipe. You're right. Every time you look at a news article now and you stay up to date with a current event, you're seeing another case of backlash or outcry from the public about a, 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 a male uh, that was born, you know, signed gender, genitalia at birth male that is transitioned to a woman in woman's sports and has won something. I've seen about three or four cases of that lately and you're getting backcrash. You're getting outcry from female athletes and supporters and, and the like to say, hey, this is not fair. This is this, this is that. But again, I mean, if that's how a person, you know, identified, they have transitioned and um, if there are no rules in place to say, well, if you a trans a, 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 a transgender a female you know from male to female that you can't play the sport if there's nothing like that and i don't even know if that's possible to, to do maybe you can on and if it's something private but then who's to say that you know oh who's who's going to keep out somebody that was born male transition female to play a female sport right so but you're right you usually see more of that born male transition female as opposed to born female transition male and competing in male sports and winning but um, that's that's interesting because that's been a hot topic lately. There's been a lot of stuff in the media about that, which kind of is a perfect segue to kind of mention the role that mainstream society in the media plays into um, identifying, um, you know, with, with your sexuality and mental health. Because I think that's a big part of it, right? It, it, it's a lot of mainstream influence, influence from, from the public that... Um, influences that and one of the things right off um the bat that comes to mind for me felipe in our home state here in north carolina is um h bill 2 and Tawaka, you may be familiar with this house bill 2 also known as the public facilities and um, privacy and security act which was introduced in uh the north carolina uh uh you know uh, general assembly in, two, in 2016 and it was a it was a bill that got a lot of it got a lot of backlash Got a lot of backlash from politicians all over the all over the country, including um the president. You know, at the time Barack Obama spoke negatively of the governors of the state. But basically, to walk it, that was a bill introduced here 
we called it the bathroom bill that pretty much precluded local governments from like creating like anti-discrimination ordinances and stuff like that. And it pretty much said that, you know, you had to use the restroom that was your assigned gender at birth. Even if you was a transgender um, woman, right? And and um, you was born a male, you had to use a male restroom. And that caused a lot of um, upheaval in the, in the transgender community here and advocates and supporters of that because um, it was a big deal. It was, a, it was a big deal. In fact, it was so big of a deal that the governor at the time, Pat McCoy, who was a Republican governor, he lost his bid for re-election because of that. Our state lost a lot of money. It was like $400 million, if I, if I remember correctly, was the estimate from like, you know, employers pulling out, events canceling, you know, things like that. Jobs coming here that changed their mind because this law was extremely um, anti, um, it was a swing to anti-LGBTQ is what a lot of people felt. You know, forcing people to you. And then another issue was like a lot of local law law enforcement departments, like, well, how are we gonna enforce this law? You know, they didn't want to expand resources to have people monitoring restrooms 24-7. So that was a problem with it. Well, how are we gonna enforce this law? Because basically the law ultimately ended up being repealed, the whole law. First the bathroom section of it, then the entire law in 2020 was repealed and replaced with another bill. But it was a, it was an outpour because people was complaining, like, well, how how are we gonna enforce this? You know, and because basically they were saying that if you was born male and you transgendered to female, if you still had a male genitalia, which a lot of transgender females do, then you had you needed to use um, a female restroom. And I read one study that said like the, like a transgendered um, a suicide hotline, the phone calls doubled to that hotline after this bill was introduced, where a lot of people having anxiety, depression just stress you know what i mean so we know this stuff impacts mental health you know what i mean absolutely it's it's almost like when somebody has assumed an identity then there is nothing that anybody can do to convince them otherwise so for someone that's a trans woman and she looks like a lady she has her breasts she has her you know her makeup and and her dress on but she hasn't gone to she hasn't completed like the gender reassignment uh surgery and she has to go into a male's restroom of course that that causes you know look the looks from the from the men maybe that person wasn't even didn't want people to know right like it's it's a it's a it's a hard line to to, to a path to follow and so like now you know there are restrooms that are you know both genders or gender neutral bathrooms and they have actual stalls you know um like i do, do a lot of traveling so i've seen airports where it's just you go in there and like oh everybody goes into the same bathroom right. there are stalls that you're all individual you know you can't look under it you can't look over it so that is one way that that you know society has kind of been more inclusive and and considerate and um being empathetic towards the trans community by just you know making things more inclusive absolutely yeah yeah, that's yeah, and yeah, that that that's interesting though. That that's an interesting take to, to see that because um, yeah um, and as clinicians, I think it's important that people realize that like you know we we're not in the business of of taking sides with anybody, whether you heterosexual, homosexual, pansexual, genderfluid, whatever. That's that's your personal preference, right? That's a preference thing. So people don't get it twisted. Folks may think like, oh, if, you know, good clinician is not in the business of taking sides. 
we're in the business of, of just treating people, you know, um, and 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 based on their, whatever they're dealing with mental health wise, whether your sexuality is influencing or not, we're in the business of treating folks and teaching folks how to live better, how to cope with things, how to respond to things in a, in a, in a better manner. So that's what we're in the business of. So, um, and that's a part of culturally competent practice, right? And that's yeah. why I always say, like you mentioned earlier to Walker, getting the names right. I mean, that's important, you know, for a person to be um, recognized the way they want to be recognized. And, and, and like, you know, you said, Felipe, you have trouble. Well, well, what pronoun that are you? That's why it's best to just ask. And, and that's what I always do. Well, what do you want to be called? Because again, um, that's a part of culturally competent practice, right? Understanding other people that are different from us, right? Whether it's a cultural or sexual orientation or, or race or age, right? That's a part of that culturally competent piece. So we have to just make sure as clinicians, we're 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 getting it getting it right or trying to get it right as it relates to treating our clients and the populations that we serve. You know, you know, the population that we serve rather. So like working with the fire service, you know, it used to be firemen, um, but they changed it to firefighters because of all of the like, you know, women are can be firefighters, too. But yeah. um, at the facility that I worked in, which is in Upper Marlboro, um, Maryland, it's a residential facility for the International Association of Firefighters from across the nation. So anybody that's a part of that union can get services at the at the facility. So the facility is brief and in, brief intensive therapy, five to seven weeks where they get all encompassing. So they get uh, psychiatric services, medical services, clinical services. They stay on campus, come here, get your help, or you might lose your job. And I found like the females that come through, the ones that don't tap into their, their masculinity struggle a lot because of not being strong enough, fast enough, feeling like they can't uh, do the job, right? petite or whatever and then some of the ones that are more um that took on a more masculine identity so then they became in competition with the other men and i had to help them understand that your path and your like be in competition with yourself be the best version of you do the job that you can do and if you can't do it then it's like you can't do it if you're not the one that's going to be on the lead of the holes because the holes is you know whatever the case may be, why is it, are you fighting to match the strength of a man or the strength of somebody that's stronger than you, whether it's same gender or not? So like really challenging how uh, the ideas of your job or your occupation and a male dominated profession versus a female dominated profession. And how does, you know, um, do I have to be masculine in order to be great at my at my job because it's a male dominated? So police officers, military, um, like those public servants, um, struggling with their the the idea that they have to meet something in order to qualify, and so the women come in like really beat down and burdened because they they aren't as strong as or they hurt themselves and they mess up their bodies in order to train to to be more than what they are and it's like that southern girl in me 
and um i am i am pro woman um but i'm also pro man right and so it's like be who you are do the thing that's good for you if it's does it of if your body if your competency if your physical strength does not equate to what you're doing then why are you putting yourself through this suffering because suffering is a choice right pain is inevitable but we choose to suffer just to prove a point or to to negate a fact like it's not even worth it like are you really satisfied with your life that you have to that you're burdened when you show up because you were trying to force your way in a space that wasn't actually designed for you but that's that's a, tr- a sticky subject too yeah 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 that that is interesting that is that's interesting yeah it is that's and I, I, I'm sure as a black woman working with, because you said you work with predominantly uh, white males in the in the fire the fire department, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. That that is. It seems like it would be. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I don't think I probably could do that. I think it just probably because of the cultural differences. I don't think I would oh, connect. But, but as a black female, you probably doing some good work up there. You probably didn't think you would be able to connect with, you know, some of the. Uh, populations that you, you're serving right now so to be, to be honest um that's kind of why i had to transition so i worked with the firemen f- since 2018 and i became almost like the token blackness because of my energy because you know i show up i am cussing them out telling them like that was dumb that was like uh work with the fire service to meet them on their level like using profanity and really kind of you know um letting them know like no this is why black all lives don't matter like i've been had to represent blackness right for since 2018 and so what i realized though because of how exceptional and the the guys from that came in they are from across the nation so as far as washington state some canadians like just all over so i might be might have been their only experience of black woman right and Uh, so them they end up having this attraction almost like invigorated like oh my god you're so amazing and i've never met a woman like you i'm not sure if i could have received this information if it was a black man um like literally having the audacity to really tell me their truth and so i i i tapped into my generational trauma like um i'm feeling like slave master slave girl right now right like i'm feeling that you're emulating me that that you're changing one addiction to an to another addiction like you're addicted to the energy that I my black girl magic right and so like I literally had to pull back and I distanced myself right now I'm only PRN with that facility where I'll go in and help when the when the campus needs something or there are topics that they want me to facilitate in group or maybe a clinician is out and they're having a, a, a tough time and so like I literally would go in and and show up and it's like oh my god I've been here for 18 days and I'm just now getting getting it and so I was like you know um I am have to be unorthodox because I will challenge your privilege I will tell you that you're privileged and that you are taking advantage of a system I will not play into you know, the, can you say I have PTSD so I can get workers comp, like just random stuff when it is your sexuality is what's in question and you are a sex addict and you need sexual addiction 
you know, um, services, but because of the stigma, you don't want that to be on your file. I can't do it. I can't be your clinician. I can't sign off on this. Um, so like, it was really a, a challenge for me to always have to face them. Um, so yeah, that's why I transitioned from full-time clinician. Now I'm a life coach where I can say no to people. Like I don't have to bite into the system of medical necessity and playing the game that some people will use um, in order to get what to get what they want, not necessarily what they need. I can dig it. I can dig mm -hmm. it. Hmm. Mm. I'm so sorry that you went through that, but I can definitely see that. Um, I like how you made the connection between the past and the present, as the past is ever present, which is why Florida does what it do regarding erasing the past. For sure. I said, yes. <laughs> we live in some very interesting times. I've never seen a time as tumultuous as this one here. I've been around well over 100 years. <laughs> um, and it's scary. It's scary to have our youth, our children grow up in this time of such things, issues, agendas that go totally against our, don't mirror what we experience as children. Al and I spoke about this last week when we talked about bullying, like yeah. the types of bullying we experienced or that we perpetrated is so much different than what the ones that our children face or will face. I believe that they're more sensitive. I believe that, but almost to the point where they're too sensitive. You know what I'm saying? I see a lot of crybabies in my practice <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying, that emotionally, how can they handle these changes in the world? And how can I, as a clinician, grow strong enough to be able to assist them with these transitions? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, it is right, man. We 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 are uh, we we in some times now that, that that we haven't seen, right? We we navigating some some turbulent times right now, but uh, that's just the way it is, man. I think if you just look at world history, it always kind of you know is we gonna we gonna face times where things have been like uncertain right because oh like wow we've never seen this before it's never been a time in world history or, or or you know the history of a person's country where they've seen something like this but it's real and you know sometimes we just have to deal with it we, we have to deal with it the best way we know how because there are no no, no rules or order, or order in place on how to deal with this stuff and it's kind of like it shows up and we're trying to kind of figure it out as we go right and that's kind of the same way it is with um sexual identity and the impact it can have on mental health because if you kind of look around, right, when you talk about like um, some of the issues people with uh, they identify the LGBTQ face, obviously bullying is, is one issue that they face, right? And like you just mentioned, Felipe, we touched on this a little bit. Um, we, we spoke about bullying, but it's not only bullying from peers and law enforcement and coworkers. It's also bullying from state government officials, um, government agencies. And I'll and I'll give you an example. If you do a Google search and you Google something like um, uh, LGBTQ inmate sues uh, state prison system, you'll get numerous articles and stories about litigation that's going on right now or in the past five years where there have been inmates like LGBTQ inmates that have sued the prison system that was housing them because of them 
basically a, a lack of, of of what we would refer to as um gender affirming treatment right so basically you have situations where and it's been numerous cases where inmates that say transgender from like born um a male to female where they want to be housed in a female prison where they was either denied that they was denied ongoing hormone treatments they was denied um protection and things like that and they just was bullied by correction staff prison staff because of their sexual orientation so um you see that a lot going on and i know here in my home state north carolina has been a, a couple different big cases where inmates have won state prison system and won there's several right now you can google and they um you know these state correctional agencies have paid out big bucks you know um to settle claims of discrimination bullying denying um healthcare because that's pretty much to the point now where like if somebody has been receiving uh hormone treatments you know for the past 10 15 years they get incarcerated the expectation from the healthcare side is that there's or continue to get those hormone treatments if that is going to decrease gender dysphoria right and cut down on all that because that's how they identify but if you deny them that you deny them a basic human right you deny them a healthcare right and all that so um again um you know it's been numerous cases where, where people have sued state prison system successfully you know and won so um that's just one of the issues we see people face and um again it's very impactful on mental health very, absolutely very I, I love that you brought up the st systemic bullying right like it's from top down and that's where it it, it it kind of leads from how society, how systems, healthcare, insurance companies, um, like just everything that that could be considered systemic, and how how that's how families that's where they get their mentality. Like I don't want you to struggle outside of my household, so I can't accept you really uh, being who it is that you think you are. I had a I had a son, and you're going to be a son, right? So the bullying actually it trickles down and it starts at home it's in the house where the parents are bullying their kids not in a malicious way but in the best way that they know how because they're trying to protect their kid or their loved one because of they know like once they get outside the house how the system is going to treat them and so it's a hard space to be in as a parent of someone that's struggling with their sexual identity or a caregiver or a sibling or a friend when it's like do you not know the world don't accept you like that like what are you gonna do that you are 13 and you want to take hormone treatments to you want to take testosterone because you don't want to be brandy anymore you want to be elijah and so you want people we're going to call you he him we're going to call you elijah but your parents aren't going to be able to your parents aren't going to pay for your testosterone because it's not a part of their insurance system it's not basic health care so it's extra and they're not willing to right so there are so many things um when it comes to the term bullying that that we don't even think about like we don't even consider it yeah 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 we spot on with that and i think we mentioned when we had talked about bullying last week i think one of the things i brought up like you said family parents a lot of people bullies are their first parents you know just not being just denying their emotions, denying their rights. You know, if, if you know if your child is young, seven or eight, six years old, yeah, they may be a child and you still providing for them and caring for them, but they still got feelings, they still got rights. So, you know, and and you know, whether it's, it's not for me to say, 
whether or not a parent should or pay for a child to get um, gender-affirming treatment when the young age, that's for that parent and their family, right, to decide what's best for their family. But um, I still think it's important to have conversations with children at a young age, especially when they start hitting that um, pre-adolescent, pre, pre, um, what's the term, pre, pre, pre-pubescence uh, age, age or whatever, and they start kind of liking or trying to identify you know, whether they homosexual, heterosexual. I think it's important to have those conversations, right? And how to do that is, is going to be left up to the family based on, like, their history with their children, their, their culture, their spirituality, religion, all that type of stuff, right? It's going to play into it. But a conversation needs to be had for good or for bad on your child's, um, you know, sexuality. You know, how do they see themselves, straight or gay? You know, what are they attracted to, boys or girls? Because... Either way, whether you not supportive or supportive, that need to be had because they need to know that, you know, because like you said, they want to deal with enough outside of the house. And it's interesting that you should bring that up because uh, and I had mentioned this last episode. That's something that my wife and I frequently talk about, like the sexuality of our children, you know, when they get older. Because, you know, at a certain age when children are four, five or six, they're not old enough to understand or have a sexual preference. Right. That's too young to really understand what they mean. But a few years from now. When they start reaching 11, 12, 13 years old, they will. So I think it's important. And one thing that we, and I think all couples should be able to agree on, husband and wives, spouses, whatever, you know, spouses, whatever, should be able to agree on that, okay, well, whatever we decide, or even if our views differ, we should be able to go to our child and say, hey, um, you know, talk to me about your sexuality. You know, what are you attracted to? I need to know this as a parent, because for one, I need to be able to support you, and for two, I need to just be in the know, right? So um, you have to have those those conversations. Um, and I know those topic, topics are difficult, but that's the only way to, to really support. And, and you have to talk about this stuff because if somebody don't feel able to voice that stuff in their own household and express it, then how in the world can we expect them to go out in the world and feel comfortable in their own skin and advocate for themselves and speak for themselves? So... Um, you know, that's one thing, you know, we agree on. Well, if we want to, you know, be pretty um, on it. And I would much rather my child to tell me, hey, mom or dad, I think I'm gay. I think I'm attracted to, to this so that we can be supportive and let them know well, either way we love you. But we need to have a conversation. It's going to be hard. You're going to face bullying. You're going to face discrimination. You know what I mean? Just to know that um, they're supported by their um, first teachers and stuff like that. So that's important to have those conversations absolutely uh like not only like not only just to focus on their sexuality and how how they express themselves but actually having a safe space to just to tell their truth right like with all the hard topic topics the same way we talk about the birds and the bees right like you know that you can get pregnant if right that that same conversation has to be had where where they have the information to make good choices right like you know it's it's yet to be determined nature versus nurture right are you born gay or is it the uh, your is it a product of your environment you know um which is me it's it's a combination it's definitely a combination and it's a combination of choices what we feed what we ingest what we are surrounded by um what we're influenced by it determines the trajectory of the things and the choices that we make and so like 
being with your your kids and, and allowing them to know, like, listen, I just want you to be honest with me. Be your authentic self. If you're going to make a choice, then make that choice and own it. Take responsibility for the things that you do because secrets are the devil, right? Like, don't be out here doing stuff, sneaking around doing stuff, and I can't cover you. I can't support you because I have no idea. But, you know, having those, those conversations, that's where the parents have to challenge their own biases and they can't take it personal and and right. think that they've done something i didn't protect you or i didn't cover you or what happened or who touched you right because that's where our head goes first right like something happened um is this your are you have you been traumatized right and so like just being able to create a, a an environment where there is comfort in just telling whatever your truth is and being your authentic self and and explaining what self-acceptance is and self-compassion opposed to being critical and judgmental of self. Indeed. We'll do a short commercial break and then we'll go to close out. Sounds good. Hey, boss. Okay. You said I'm fine. Please, um, Al, any last words? Yeah, um, well, of course, I want to thank our guests for being on here and sharing her insight and, um, you know, adding, adding, uh, you know, to the discussion. But I, I just, you know, just going back, um, over what I was saying when we first started out, um, you know, um, sexual orientation, sexual identity is, is real, right? Um, it's so real that, um, you know, experts felt the need to to create diagnostic criteria for it and, and put it in the, 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 the DSM. So I just think that we just got to be real careful when it comes to um, uh, looking at, uh, you know, sexuality and the roles it plays on mental health. Let's not downplay it, right? Let, let's not um, um, look, look at it like it's not a lot of, like it's not a big a big deal when it is you know because we have loved ones we have children we have co-workers we have colleagues that are dealing with this stuff and i i just feel like you know like i said as as clinicians it's not our job to tell you how to identify what's right what's wrong right that's your preference right your preference your preference it's just our job to make sure we're fostering an environment we're advocating for people um outside of mental health field to let them know that you know everybody deserves to be treated um fairly you know um no matter what they you know believe, believe in in terms of their sexuality whether they're homo or hetero and it's not to be downplayed you know it's not to be downplayed man it's still have major effects on people's mental health and we just have to uh be aware of that you know what comes to mind is a quote by laverne cox she's a brilliant and thought-provoking speaker uh, Emmy-nominated actress and documentary film producer. This quote goes as follows. When I was perceived as a Black man, I became a threat to public safety. 
when I was dressed as myself, it was my safety that was threatened. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame that we live in a society that has so much hate in their heart that they bring harm, whether verbally or physically, to others. This, this country supposedly was built on a foundation called Christianity. If this is Christianity, then I must come in this. Because this is a this is deplorable. This is not a price. But then we must remember Christ was not a Christian, it was a Judas. And that the things that we do in this land are not reflective of his ways or his ideology of thought. This country is deplorable. It's funny how the ones that are the most hateful, the most violent, stand by the most obscure standards of their Christian faith and claim God as their reasons for doing it. We live in some very interesting times. Mr. Walker, any last words? Um, thank you guys so much for having me. I've enjoyed our, our banter. It's been really good and invigorating just to, you know, uh, iron sharpens iron, just leaning and leaning on each other. And, and one thing that I wanted to say, uh, just from what Al said in his closing, um, it's, people have to challenge their idea of what's right, right? Like um, people are always trying to do the right thing and that's where they expend so much energy and effort because right according to who? Right according to society, right according to my parents, right according to my beliefs, whatever the case may be, but really focus on being your most authentic self, doing the things that make you happy, doing the things that allow you to feel fulfilled, right? The things that you feel like you were created to do, regardless of your age, sex, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, put fill in the blank. Like everybody deserves um, to be treated with dignity and respect, period. And us as cl clinicians, we have to really be in the forefront of that, where we are allowing that person to have their experience and then letting them know that they just got to keep doing their best, not according to what people want from them. Like stop trying to please people because you never will be able to please them and do what's pleasing to you. And then if you are a believer or if you believe in a higher power, what do you feel like that purpose for your contribution to the world? What were you created to do? Do that. Well said. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you once again, Tawaka, for your presence today. You are a breath of fresh air on this broadcast of More Than Therapy. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the More Than Therapy podcast available anywhere that you push play to listen to your favorite podcast. That's the More Than Therapy podcast. Be well and be good.